Welcome back to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Living for Today podcast, where we will be exploring the boundaries between reality and spirituality. I will be your host, Ryan Kurzak. In today's episode, I will be talking with Anne Dupree Rogers, Executive Director for Resources for Resilience, about how understanding ACE scores can heal our society and improve our personal well-being. We'll also spend some time talking about children and meditation. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for being here with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so basically what I wanted to talk about was a few things. Uh, number one, being a meditation teacher, I've had a lot of people ask me about meditation for children. And when I inquire a little bit more about what that's all about, uh, it seems to be that what people are looking for is a way to help children kind of deal with the stresses of being children and to grow up healthy and um, more resilient. And you happen to be the director of resources for resilience, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so what I wanted to get into was this idea of, of ACEs and ACE scores. Mm -hmm. And this is something you're into, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And also uh, some of the work that you do uh, to kind of help children and adults deal with the difficulties of, I guess, life. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before we get into all that, because mm -hmm. it's a lot there. Um, can you say a little bit about what ACE scores are? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, ACE stands for the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, mm -hmm. ACE study. It was developed and administered starting in the late 90s to a um, huge number of adults, 17,500 adults. Um, during routine medical exams, they were asked a series of 10 questions. Phrased something like, before your 18th birthday, did any of these things happen to you in your childhood? Yes or no? You just gave a yes or no answer. And the 10 questions were around physical, emotional, sexual abuse, physical, emotional neglect, uh, having a parent in the home with a mental illness, having a family member be incarcerated, having a family member struggling with addiction, losing a parent to separation, divorce, or abandonment, um, and witnessing your mother ex experiencing domestic violence mm -hmm. at the hands of whatever partner. Right. So those were the 10. You could say no to all 10, and that would give you an A score of zero. If you said yes to five of them, you have an A score of five. Mm -hmm. So then they compared people's A score as adults with their health at, as adults. Mm -hmm. And what they found was the higher your A score in general, the more likely you were to have every kind of health impact from heart disease to cancer to lung disease to HIV AIDS to addiction, depression, suicidality, obesity, diabetes. I mean, you name it. Right. Physical and behavioral health effects were, were greater the higher your ACE score. Okay. And so when you when they found this out, though, that gave them some information. Mm -hmm. But then in time, people started to figure out, well, 
it's one thing to know this, mm -hmm. but now what do we do with it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So where where are we now with that? Right. So communities around the country are responding with the what do we do about it. It's mm -hmm. not like this sweeping across the nation, quick, immediate public health response mm -hmm. to this huge mental, um, behavioral, mental, physical health crisis. Mm -hmm. It's been slow going. Mm -hmm. You know, I find it interesting, but not surprising, I guess. So it's not, to me, when we learned about ACEs and the effects, it was sort of like, well, that explains everything that I was seeing as a therapist working with children and families who, who had a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of um, effects from that. So it was like, oh, well, now we have Western Western science can now prove what we would have instinctually imagined having a really hard childhood can't be good for you. Right. So the A study, you know, empirically validated that. And so part of this, though, too, what's helpful about it, the initial reason I wanted to talk to you, we're not necessarily going to talk about meditation with mm -hmm. this for children, but... When an adult has a high A score or has suffered a lot of these difficulties, they also tend to pass this on to their children. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. becoming aware of having a high A score, there's also ways maybe to help work with adults so that their own children don't develop those same kinds of Absolutely. issues. Absolutely. One thing that is said um, by some of the experts in the field, what's predictable is preventable. Mm -hmm. So if we can start knowing about these risk factors, we can educate parents um, who have young children, who are expecting children, even um, preconception age uh, adults could start to learn the, you know, the importance of keeping children safe and free from this kind of relational adversity as much as we possibly can. Right. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. When when we're when we're armed with this information, we can use it for prevention and treatment to better inform treatment. But but certainly, the best thing would be to prevent the ACE from happening in the first place. Right. And again, going back to the idea of the children, when people ask me about meditation, what I think that they want is a way to help their children cope with life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember Melissa. You know, like I said when we talked earlier before this podcast, I would hear Melissa talk about things, mm -hmm. about like um, the, the, the crim training. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to talk about that. I know you, you said that there's more to it now. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but with, with children, uh, you know, what kinds of things, like for example, this idea of the, the crim train, like what is that? Mm -hmm. How does that help children deal with these things? And then where are we now? Like mm -hmm. what are the things that... Mm -hmm. So... Um... Part of the reaction to this information um, has been putting putting programs and curriculum in place to help children and adults alike kind of manage stress better. Right. The, the curriculum that we are teaching in and around North Carolina now that I'm a part of, as are um, many other um, bright people in, in and around Asheville, but also starting to be um, east of here as well, are teaching something called Reconnect for Resilience, or Reconnect for short. 
And lots of us were trained in the CRIM model. That's when we worked with Melissa initially. Um, and so the, the just to kind of give the background, so CRIM, which stands for Community Resiliency Model, teaches lots of tools to help an individual child or adult with self-regulation, mm-hmm. right? Like calming your nervous system mm-hmm. in all these really helpful but simple um, kind of somatic or body-based practices. Mm-hmm. Not unlike yoga, really, but we, we're not teaching yoga. Right. Um, so Krim says, here's, here's some great um, skills to help calm the nervous system through stress. And the Reconnect cur- curriculum does that as well, but we are also learning more and more about the, the power of co-regulation. Okay. So yes, I need tools to calm my own nervous system, but as a child especially, but frankly also as an adult, one of the most powerful ways to calm my nervous system is with the help of another person. Mm. So when you think about helping children manage through stress or helping children's little developing hormonal immune nervous systems not be so impacted by stress so that when they're adults they have all these health problems. Part of that is is giving children some tools, but, and maybe most importantly, helping the adults in the world who interact with children, whether those are parents, teachers, coaches, the, giving the adults more tools so that when they are with children, they are more effectively able to do the co-regulation. Right. When the, for example, when a teacher is leading a classroom in third grade, if that teacher is in his or her resilient zone mm-hmm. most of the time, even if he or she never teaches the students one of these tools, the students will have a better experience because their nervous systems will be basically calmed by her or his calmer nervous system, Mm -hmm. co-regulation. You know, a baby cannot calm their own nervous system. They have to be held and rocked and comforted for the first, um, quite a long time, first several weeks, months of life before they kind of learned their own self-soothing. You have to help them. Uh And so while we grow older, we don't need it as much, we still do better when we're experiencing both co-regulation and self-regulation opportunities. So with with co-regulation, I mean, is that where, since the person is holding the space of calm, is it actually, there's some kind of, uh, there's a word for this, like when you get clocks in a room and they will all kind of like go into sync mm-hmm. together. Yeah, attunement yeah, maybe. That's or? not the word, okay. but it's the same idea. Uh-huh. Is that what's actually is happening? Or is it that the kids are just getting a model of, okay, some things are going wrong, mm-hmm. but we see, hey, you don't have to freak out. Right. Like, you yeah, see? I do. It's it real, It's both. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the children are having a, a, a model of an adult who can stay calm under stress, but actually it's much deeper than that. The... The vagus nerve that runs from our survival brain through our heart up into our face, eyes, ears, and then also branches off and goes to the lower organs. Our our nervous system, without any language, will pick up on safety or threat 
in these very subtle ways that we aren't even always consciously right. aware of. It's this deep physiological kind of um, threat detector yeah. that that we have as human beings that is a, you know, really an evolutionary um we have developed this right. evolutionarily. So when it's not just that I see my teacher being a, you know, a good, calm, regulated person. It's that I am at a, at a very deep physiological, neurophysiological level experiencing safety from his his or her nervous system. Right. So the word I was thinking of was entrainment. Entrainment. Okay. Yeah. But also what you're talking about is that like like when you have they talk about mirror neurons? Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, okay, I see here. And you know, when adults ask me again about meditation and children, mm-hmm. it seems to me like what you're what you're saying. If we can teach kids ways and also adults ways to kind of tap into the hardware, mm-hmm. you know, for example, deep breathing mm-hmm. affects the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. Like bowing affects the vagus mm-hmm. nerve. Like there's all these things that affect it. Mm-hmm. And and so a lot of this training that you're discussing. It, it kind of taps into these things. Mm-hmm. These, yeah. So what's yes. an example of something that... Um, so let's see. One of our tools, and there are many, um, well, humming and singing right. in, in a group mm-hmm. calms everybody's nervous system. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, sure. Of course it does. Like these, everything we're talking about, it's nothing is really new or right. innovative. It's... It's things we've instinctually known or done as communities, as tribes, as people to, to be healthy and well and in relationship and supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. We're doing these tools with more attention and intention right. than maybe we have before. A lot of people, when we teach the neuroscience behind it all, sort of sit up and listen in a way that maybe they weren't all doing before Mm -hmm. Uh, some people don't need that other people are like oh there's science behind this right right?" um so um what was i going to say so so singing together um brings down blood pressure and um tones the vagus nerve and when we are in a group doing that, it's it's like a contagious effect of all these attuned nervous systems mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, all the tools we teach, we eventually um, come back to, they all come back to noticing the somatic experience or noticing the body. Mm-hmm. So that that may not be something we've intentionally done with singing. Like, okay, everybody, let's sing a song. We all smile. We feel better. What we would say is, as you're singing, and even after you're done singing, notice what your body feels like. Mm-hmm. Notice sensations of calmness or openness or relaxation mm-hmm. or ener- energy. Mm-hmm. So maybe before we sing together, I'm kind of tight and tense and, mm-hmm. you know, amped up or shut down. Those are, those are words we use. Um, I might notice my breathing is somewhat shallow or my muscles are tense or I have kind of a tightness around my face. Mm-hmm. And then we sing together and I notice all this opening. Mm-hmm. And then I really want to notice that, not just, oh, that's nice, but really notice the shift 
that your mind body has just experienced. And by noticing it and drawing even more attention to it, kind of mindfully being with it, you are creating um, well-being in your body and also neural neural wiring in your brain mm-hmm. around that experience. You know, we have trillions of neural connections. When we have a lot of stress and trauma, there's neural pathways around those experiences. Mm-hmm. And they're hard to get rid of. They're hard to just dust off. Right. And that's that's because we're wired for survival. We mm-hmm. have sort of a negativity bias that goes back to our need to survive. If we didn't pay attention to the danger, right. we would be we wouldn't survive. So right. we need to be on high alert for danger. But we can also intentionally pay attention to those things that are about safety and connection and beauty and meaning and hope and help. And, and as we notice those things and then notice them in the entire embodied experience of them, the somatic body response, we're strengthening Mm -hmm. those connections. And that's all the tools kind of come back to that as well. Yeah. I think I remember Melissa telling me when she read the book, um, Buddha's brain. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. That there mm-hmm. was the idea, and I might have the numbers wrong, but it was something like, you know, for example, for every one bad thing that happens to you, mm-hmm. or like, for example, if you're in a relationship with someone and they do something that disturbs you, it takes like five uh-huh. positive yes. things to mm-hmm. to redo that. I think at least five is yeah. what I've heard. Yeah, and I mean, absolutely, and. And so that, you know, we have to really practice that or it's so easy to end up not, not, not doing that. I mean, I just was saying this a couple days ago. We teach all these workshops, right? And we get an evaluation at the end. Every participant fills out a form. Mm -hmm. Did they like it? What did they like? What did they not like? And there's several questions. You could get a one up to a five. Mm -hmm. And people love our workshops. You know, they really, we get lots of fours and fives. And this is great. And But every now and then there's a three, right? There'll be 41 fives and one three. What do you think about? (laughs) Right? Right, right. Who gave me the three? Why didn't they like it? What did I do? What did they do? And we literally, we think about the three for the whole drive home (laughs) workshop. That's just a modern day example. So we're... So with this whole, with this work, you know, with children and with adults, in a way, it's kind of reprogramming the nervous system to be more aware or alert to the positive things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's accurate? definitely, definitely, that's accurate and, mm-hmm. and definitely part of it. Not to not notice the negative. Right. Your, your safety and threat detector is important. Is important. You yeah. need it. You need to know what's dangerous. You need to look both ways before you cross the street. But those things tend to, to not, those things tend to be pretty strong without practicing them. <laughs> right. And we can practice these resiliency tools and, and spend a little more time each day sensing into things that are positive and not deaden our, you know, fight or flight um, response. It will still be there when we, when we need it. So there's a lot of this work with children then that you do. Um, I mean, when I hear about, you know, paying attention to your body and uh, the whole somatic experience, well, this reminds me of like, uh, Eckhart Tolle Mm -hmm. and the power of now. He says, you know, always just pay attention to your body. Stay Mm -hmm. present in Mm -hmm. your body. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I know you might not necessarily want to take it that way, mm-hmm. but essentially that's what's happening. Yeah. And, and that is, I mean, we'll teach adults and children pretty much that. Well, we will use a tool. So we first teach, depending on the age and the audience, you know, we teach a little, we talk about the owner's manual. We give kind of a easy to understand neurobiology, neurophysiology lesson. Like mm-hmm. here's your stress response. Here's your brain. Different parts of your brain controls different things like thinking and survival. So we kind of give everybody a basic owner's manual. Even kindergartners mm-hmm. are learning about their brain. We use the hand model right. that a guy named Dan Siegel developed. He's a psychiatrist in California. Survival brain, emotional brain, thinking brain. Mm-hmm. Your amygdala is your thumb. It's like the smoke detector of your nervous system or the guard dog. So all the time the amygdala is scanning the environment, safety or danger. Am I safe? Am I not safe? Mm-hmm. When the amygdala smells smoke, for example, not safe. What's on fire? We need to react. When the amygdala sees a kind, compassionate teacher at the front of the room mm-hmm. who greets me with affection every day, even when I'm late or don't have my coat or got in trouble yesterday, mm-hmm. I get signals to that amygdala, you are safe. Mm-hmm. And so the amygdala tells the survival brain you need to be in a fight or flight or freeze response because you're not safe or tells your survival brain you are safe, which allows your thinking brain, this this part, to be driving the car, if right. you will. And so we'll teach children, even, even four-year-olds, have the hand puppet with the brain and flip your top bit flip flip the lid flip yeah the lid yeah that's it <laughs> um one metaphor we use with children so the wise old owl sits on top of the barn so that would be your thinking brain your neocortex the wise old owl and then you've got this big old chocolate lab dog and he guards the he guards the farm when the dog starts barking the wise old owl flies away hmm. bark 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 Sometimes the dog is barking because there's an intruder or a, you know, a fox coming to eat the chickens or whatever. Sometimes the dog is just barking and you can't figure out why. So the dog, you have to calm the dog down and you do that with physical kind of sensation based. Maybe you pet the dog, scratch his ears. It's okay. You have a calming tone, all these kind of sensory, um, cues to the dog it's nothing no fox it wasn't a fox it just looked like a fox it was just a just something blowing in the breeze the dog eventually calms down and stops barking that wise old owl can come back right and so the tools are kind of how we calm calm our guard dog when we don't need him to be barking or it's not a it's not a real fire it was just a drill let's turn off the fire alarm now we can think about doing our math because goodness knows we can't do it when the alarm's going off. So right. that's sort of a other metaphor. So we, we teach the owner's manual like that. And then we teach these seven tools. And they all kind of have sub-tools beneath them. But seven tools to kind of mindfully be back to the present moment. Right now, you are safe. Mm-hmm. What are you noticing right now in your body that tells you I'm okay? Right. So it is being, you know, and, and sort of the present body moment can only be experienced right now. Right. So it really is 
be in your body and be right now because that's all we have. And you've had a lot of success teaching this to children. Yeah. Children, um, I mean, we what Resources for Resilience does is mostly teach the adults in a, in a classroom or in a um, facility, and then they teach the children. Okay. So one thing we've learned is whoever has the primary relationship with the student does a better job right. teaching. So yeah. if the third grade teacher takes our workshop, he or she is then maybe every morning in you know they have different names but like the first thing in the morning where they group together they might all do um they all they might all practice resourcing together so we're letting the teacher do that teaching and what's resourcing resourcing is one of the tools a resource in our language is anything that makes you feel better okay like a cigarette well <laughs> so what we would say probably depending on depending on the situation and we do teach this um, curriculum in the Buncombe Detention Center okay. and so often the that that is you know the first the first answer <laughs> is maybe my drug of choice yeah. which which got me in here which is you know the, the problem that yeah. and many other things about you know our justice system and institutional oppression but anyway that's another topic um, that, that's in podcast that's in episode four oh, good. Just, you okay. can go back to that <laughs> okay, one. Good. i talked to an ex-police officer perfect okay so <laughs> <laughs> so probably the way i would handle the cigarette question is yes for people who love a cigarette yes it can be calming to the nervous system but i would say is there anything just because we know what we know about cigarettes yeah, yeah, is there right. anything else that you can think of that makes you feel better besides a cigarette or a whatever, yeah. a drink or whatever. And then 100% of the time I've been in that situation and asked that question, the person has come up with something else, hmm. a, a, a family member, a dog, a, a moment um, in the, in the past where they, you know, it's just a, a sweet moment. So we'll say, Anything so tune that, into that sweet moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anything that makes you feel better, calmer, strong, you know, not necessarily peace and joy. I mean, that's great, but it may be that it's been so long that I've had that experience. I just might ask it like, just anything that makes you feel better. Right. And then whatever the answer is, then you ask a whole lot of questions. You get really curious about that resource. Hmm. So if somebody says, well... The beach. Okay, I want to know, can you think of an actual day at the beach that you experienced? Because I need them to sort of paint the picture in their mind's eye of the resource, in part to begin to sort of remember at a sensory level what that day at the beach was like. So not just, you know, the beach, it's pretty, it's nice, but what did it smell like? Mm-hmm. So you're thinking of a particular day last fall. This is one of mine. So early October, perfectly gorgeous day, not cold yet, nobody out there. I can smell it. Like right now, I can smell the smell of that, that day. I can, I can remember how the waves sounded, the birds chirping, the feel, the sensory sort of experience of the sand. It's like the hard-packed kind of gray South Carolina sand. Um, I smell, you know, the saltiness, 
the creek, that mm-hmm. kind of pluff mud smell, the sunscreen. You know, I start to paint this picture, somatic or sensory, sort of what did it feel like? What did the sun feel like on my skin? What did it feel like to sit on that sand and look out? And who was I with, if anyone? And so as I paint this picture in, in lots of detail, right this minute, as I'm talking to you, I sense in, and I just noticed I took a deep breath. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. That was not on purpose. That was not to like prove the point. Like My breathing starts to deepen mm-hmm. as I remember this day at the beach. I feel like more relaxed in my in my face I had a tiny little headache before you got here it's gone right so I'm like sensing in right now in the present moment that was over that was months ago that day at the beach but it's like I recall it and then notice what my nervous system or my body does um, in response and then as I notice these sensations that are really quite pleasant certainly neutral like the 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 no more headache Mm -hmm. is an is a nice thing to notice um i can really kind of harness that and it's it's calming in in this moment so it's like i take something put it in my pocket and bring it out later and have it when i need it so that's resourcing and anything i mean a resource could be this beautiful profound moment or it could just be something really simple but it when you when you ask yourself what's something that makes me feel better whatever kind of comes up Mm -hmm. we say go with that because often what we find when we talk to each other and go through kind of what i just went through with you um the 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 subconscious seems to like know the right antidote for this for the stressor Mm -hmm. that you need so maybe it's the beach maybe it's your new puppy dog maybe it's um, a moment where you felt really strong and um, made a difference. Maybe it's your new pink nail polish that right. <laughs> is just like looks pretty in the summer. But when you look at it, you're like, I do love that color. Yeah. I'm going to notice that for a second. <laughs> like something really superficial or something really profound, like uh-huh. the love you have for an, another person. Right. So that's that's resourcing. So you, you think of the resource, you play it out um, with all the details you can recall and 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 while you're remembering the details sharing them with another person if you're doing this with someone else you can do it by yourself you can do it with somebody else you're sort of sensing in as you're remembering as you're describing and then you're continuing to sense in um somebody came up with this it wasn't me and i can't remember who said it one of our trainers you know when you take a polaroid picture at first you can barely see it Mm -hmm. But you, you know, you shake it and it it begins to, you know, fill in and get brighter with with sensing in, which is sort of the main um, tool with all these other tools. It takes a minute. So the longer I remember that day and tell you about it more and more sort of um, somatic awareness begins to kind of. And so you don't want to rush it. It's right. kind of a slow. So with the with this whole process, um, I can see it working um, in these kind of immediate situations and circumstances. But what happens when you get a kid or someone who getting in their body is scary? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. where like mm-hmm. 
where what comes up, it, it's harder to get into those moments like you're describing. Mm -hmm. What they remember and feel is like the anxiety or mm -hmm. terror from an experience. Mm -hmm. What happens mm -hmm. then? How do you handle that? So what we when we've got somebody who's really, um, we talk about being really offline mm -hmm. or way bumped out, um, really far out of their zone, we might not do resourcing. Okay. We might, um, that might come in a, in a little while. We have tools we call rapid reset tools mm -hmm. that are um, a little bit, um, maybe faster is the word than resourcing. So one rapid reset tool, and this is like, again, it's so simple. Take a walk. Mm -hmm. Like you're feeling really anxious or really icky. Let's go walk around the block. And we're not going to really talk much while we're walking. I'm not going to get you to tell me what's wrong or what happened. We're just going to walk. Right. We're going to notice maybe a little bit while we're walking, like some stuff that we might notice, some a new flower just opened, or there's a sun peeping through. Just mindfulness, mm -hmm. right? Walking and sort of noticing as we walk. Do we feel any different? Do we feel a little bit calmer? Um, and if we and if we do, we just notice that, like, feel a tiny bit better. Mm -hmm. Maybe we keep walking, um, and we might we might do that for for quite some time without ever getting to the problem. Mm -hmm. In fact, depending on the situation, if I'm with a student at a school, I might not ever need to go back and analyze what went wrong. Right. If they're better and I'm better, and part of that is the connecting, the co-regulating. So I'm with somebody, adult or child, who's really amped up or anxious. One thing I'm doing is calming my own nervous system as much as I can. Because, again, that sort of attunement is going to be helpful. Even mm -hmm. if I don't have a solution for you, because I may really not have any way to solve the problem. Right. Plus, am I really like this all-knowing person who's supposed to tell you how to live your life. I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, but me being in my zone will help kind of attune um, yours. And so taking a walk is one. Um, another one is literally, like, so simple. It's, it sounds silly, like, telling you, but take a sip of something. Mm. You're feeling icky. You're feeling ugh. Um Let's have a, let's go get some water. Let's have a, let's go with, have a cup of tea mm -hmm. and just really notice while we're taking a sip. It's nice and cold. It's fizzy. It tastes like, what is this? Passion fruit, <laughs> you know? Um, and just, you know, notice as it passes through your lips, as it goes down your throat, how far can you notice it? It's just bringing my attention to the present moment, like, Oh, it trickles out about here. Mm -hmm. um, when I do that, I also take a, take a breath, actually. Um, so I might do that without doing much else. Nice. Um, I may do some heavy work, we call it. Um, getting somebody to help me carry something. Mm. Uh, it, it calms the nervous system when we have proprioceptive right. input, right? So I might have I mean this is teachers all over North Carolina are doing this one now I need we need to take these books to the office right? <laughs> so the, they don't really need to take these books anywhere yeah. but 
Here they head up to the office with a relatively heavy stack of books. By the time they arrive at the office, they're calmer. Right. And the office first front desk person knows what this means. He or she is tuned into all of this. So they are going to be welcoming and connecting and non-shaming and right. non-judgmental. Oh, thank you for the books. Mm-hmm. So... It, you know, it sort of takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. But when the adults in these different scenarios can be be mindful and be sort of aware, it they they are reporting to us again and again. It's it's really helpful. Right? Maybe I say to the student later, you know, when you were feeling all icky and we um, took a walk. Um, that's a way to calm your nervous system. Mm-hmm. You know, I may make it a teachable moment. It just depends. Right. Um, one thing we are back to the whole connecting. So um, Stephen Porges developed something called the polyvagal theory. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of your other guests have talked about it. but I've tried to read the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty dense. Um, I went to, I mean, it's wonderful, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot to read. Um, I did get to attend... Um, a webinar that Deb Dana, who co-wrote the book with him, um, taught, and she she makes it um, really quite digestible. Um, so we've known about this fight or flight response that we that we might experience when we feel threat or danger. But before we go into fight or flight, as human beings, evolutionarily, we have evolved this way because this is how we how we thrive, we first go to connect. Hmm. Not freeze. Not freeze and not fight and not flight. First, I look to connect. If I can't connect, then it's flight, then it's fight, and then it's freeze, submit, and collapse. He says there's levels of how deep of a freeze. And um, so when we can create safety in connection and safe experiences over and over and over again for children and adults alike, but children, safe, secure attachment figures, which could be the parent or the teacher or both, hopefully both. Um, I don't need to go into fight or flight as often because I get, I get the signal of safety through the, through the connect. Right. Now, if I've had a lot of trauma as a child or an adult at the hands of other human beings, connect gets harder. Mm-hmm. I can't trust you as easily. Right. Um, I can't trust adults. I can't trust helpers mm-hmm. because that's not been my experience. Mm-hmm. So it will look like Johnny goes into fight immediately. Mm-hmm. He's always in fight. You know, you hear that. Well, it's all in a millisecond, but before he, he, he goes into fight a lot faster than I would, mm-hmm. but he, he too would rather connect than mm-hmm. fight. Okay. So, I think I understand what you're saying by this idea of connect, but let's break that section down. Okay. So something happens, and then there's this moment of possible connection. Mm -hmm. Is that just looking around to someone else to see, is it safe? Is that what you mean? Yeah, so it could could look a couple different ways. So I am, I mean, a sort of simple example. I'm in ninth grade, and I'm walking into the cafeteria, and the anxiety is building this has probably been an experience for many of us. Oh God, I hate this time of day. Oh, there's my, there's my one of my friends. I see. Huh? Mm-hmm. Somebody I can go sit with. 
or I mean, that might happen to us at a cocktail party, whatever. Mm-hmm. Who do I know here? Oh, I know that person. Um, so I, I could start to feel like I'm just getting out of here. Forget it. I don't want to go to this party. Mm-hmm. But then I see somebody I know. It's like, okay. So I'm starting to, to go into flight, but then in connect, I don't need to. Now I'm not in flight. Right. So that's a that's one example. Right. Um, for children who've experienced a lot of trauma, it can be like the child's perception is the teacher is yelling at me. Mm-hmm. And the teacher's like, I am not yelling. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's this sort of disrupted kind of... Um, experience for the child because of past experience so oh i see so the the teacher is talking or doing something with the child trying to communicate with the child but because of the child's previous experience it seems like they're yelling exactly okay exactly so some teachers are are, you know we're, we're talking to teachers about we believe you that you're not yelling and you might need to this is what a Deb Dana thing just from last week. Some days I need you to love me a little louder. Uh, right. Okay. So the, 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 the child who's easily in fight or flight or freeze might need to be loved on. Right. You know, or, or spoken to more calmly with more reassurance, more compassion, non-judgment, validation, whatever. Then a kiddo who, lucky for them, has this safe, secure base right. at home, so they're not walking into the door at school with all this. With the preconceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Does that <laughs> make sense? It does, but it reminds me of, I remember, um, yeah, Melissa and I did not really fight that often, but I remember that when we would have an issue, she like I would be talking just a little louder than I am now, mm-hmm. just a little louder, mm-hmm. and she would say, stop yelling at mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. I come from uh, an Italian family, <laughs> And I'd be thinking to myself, yelling, yelling. This is, <laughs> I don't think you've heard yelling. If you think this is yelling, mm-hmm. so when I think of kids in, in that kind of situation too, I mean, I can see that because if you're bringing a type of preconception to it, there it doesn't matter what's actually happening; mm-hmm. it's their perception, right? Exactly. It. And so, as the adult, hopefully, they are aware of that as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, all the things that we've been talking about. Again, this is one of the reasons why I wanted you on this podcast because, to me. It sounds more important to work with kids in that way than it does to say, hey, let's teach a kid to meditate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, I don't know you that well, but having looked at some of your books on the way to the bathroom before we got started, I'm assuming you know a little bit about meditation. Mm-hmm. So from your experience, I am nosy, but <laughs> from your experience, um, what do you think about the idea of, of, of meditation in children and does it is there any part of like the work that you do that kind of gets close to that or actually does something like that? Yeah, I would say so. Another tool is um, so grounding is I know that's used in a lot of different ways. The, when we talk about grounding in the reconnect curriculum, what we mean is notice right now in the present moment all the places your body is supported. Mm -hmm. So you absolutely, I would say, it is worthwhile, and teachers are doing this, and children like it, and okay, uh, a kind of hyper time in the school day is everybody's transitioning back from recess, for example. So before we try to get into 
the reading assignment. We're going to take three minutes as a class and we're all going to ground together. And so to me, this is how, to me, this is sort of meditation for children. Right. So everybody get comfortable. You want to be in your chair. You want to be on the floor. Doesn't matter. You want to be leaning against a wall, but everybody find your spot. And if you want to close your eyes, you can, or you can just look down and then kind of the teacher or anybody can lead this, you know, just notice your breathing, notice this nice squishy pillow that's behind your back and just as a group, quietly, you know, talking them through noticing places of support. Notice your feet on the ground. Notice how your calves are supported by this couch. So anyway, bringing as a group everybody's little nervous systems kind of brake pedal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily asking them to, you know, think about something or not think about something other than their body and the present moment. Right. So I think that can be definitely effective. Mm-hmm. Um, another way we might do a kind of a group meditation, if you will, using our, our information would be, okay, so let's, let's assume by now I have taught my students, um, what a resource is. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows we might have a bulletin board in the classroom of resources. Mm -hmm. We might add to it every few days. Maybe I have a notebook at my desk of my resources. Um, so they have the vocabulary for that. And by now they have the vocabulary for, um, some of the sensory somatic, um, experiences like deeper breathing, calmer muscles, tingly in my stomach, um, warm or cool or open or, so we start to also develop maybe as a classroom, a list of sensation words, Mm -hmm. things we can notice in our body that feel good or better. Um, so we sort of have a vocabulary for sensation. We have a vocabulary for resources. So then at some point I might um, invite the whole class to sit quietly and think of one of your resources. Mm-hmm. Let it come to your mind. Think of some details about it, you know. So they kind of know what this is at this point. We've, we've done it um, enough that they can just sit there and right. recall a resource. And then I might invite everybody. So as you're thinking about your resource, what do you notice in your body? What are you noticing right now about your breathing? So, and then maybe I ask who wants to tell us about what your resource was this morning. Mm-hmm. And I mean, little children are able to do this. Um, and then what's cute, I'm thinking about this kindergarten classroom where the teacher told me this happened. I wasn't there. I'm usually not there, by right. the way. I have taught the adults and then I'm not there. But I get I get stories because we do these monthly calls. And um, so she said that this little guy, it's his turn to report. And he's talking about his new puppy. And the whole classroom is so... Um, co-regulating right off of his story about this amazing puppy everybody's brightening up everybody's like you know attuned with to this this one little student and his story and she's like it just sets the tone for the day or at least for the next hour we're like in this community and we're delighting in each other's resources and right 
So I don't know. That's not meditation, but well, it it is. I mean, meditation. I know we have these ideas of meditation, but really, it's the ability to be present, Mm -hmm. to focus. Like in in the Yoga Sutras, there's a specific definition. It says, um, "In meditation, is focusing on your chosen object. That's it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go into you know elaborate Mm -hmm. formulas. Mm -hmm. And so, focusing on your body, paying attention to what these resources are that you're describing." that is a that is a method of mm-hmm. it. It's mm-hmm. probably just not the way that I think most people would define it at this point in time. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. maybe down the road. Uh-huh. But, um, so with this, um, so children who are learning this now, as we go through life, shit's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And does this help? I'm assuming it does. This helps them if an adverse childhood experience does occur. Mm-hmm. For it to not go so deep. Mm-hmm. That's the hope. Yeah. I mean, that is what we believe is going to be true. We haven't been doing this long enough to collect data to be able to know, you know. So somebody is now equipped with these new tools in their toolbox. They report that they are feeling better and handling things better. But we don't have the longevity yet to say whatever, the risk of you know, medical conditions is coming down. But, but certainly what we, what we understand about the nervous system, when I stay or regularly have to be in a fight or flight stress reaction, Mm -hmm. over time that depletes my immune system. When that um, freeze state happens, my internal organs are compromised. When I'm in a high state of fight or flight, my cardiovascular, I mean, cortisol, over time, those things are not are not good for us. Right. So all these tools help turn off the stress response when we don't need it. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be in fight or flight. I'm just trying to be in third grade and do my work. Right. If these tools can put the brake pedal on that for periods of the day, more more of the time, then the negative effects will be, hopefully, right. you know, we'll be able to prove it one day less, you know, less bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the idea is whether I have a lot of stress, childhood adversity, or or I might next month, it's sort of like if we teach, if we teach these tools and teach the adults, you know, to, to really understand the their their role in a school setting, for example, to be a um, secondary attachment figure where they can help nervous systems right. be calm more of the time, and we can help you know parents know that too, certainly. But that yes, the the if the adversity happens, I am m- more able to get back into a kind of flow of, re- of resilience sooner um, with less time out of my zone. Right. Does that answer Yeah, yeah, question? it does. It does. Um, and, you know, one, one other thing I'm curious about, you know, we've talked a lot about children. Mm-hmm. So what happens or how does this work? I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, I, I think, a story that um, uh, Jackie told me about uh, who put me in touch mm-hmm. with you. She mentioned that there was a, a fellow who had been, I think, in prison and learned about ACEs. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, it sort of changed his whole view of 
his experience mm-hmm. in life. Yeah. And then he's also been sharing that with yeah. people. Michael Hayes, you, yeah. you should get him on here. I, I've been thinking <laughs> he's about He's awesome. <laughs> so, I saw him yesterday. He, I know he would love to do it. Well, yeah. I, well put me in touch. Okay. okay. But what, before he goes into his own story, because, yeah, no, I think about, let's definitely go. Yeah. Right here. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is it that he learned mm-hmm. and what is it that he's mm-hmm. into? Mm-hmm. So he was in, um, he was in jail and learned about the ACE study. And he had never heard of it. And somebody gave him, I think somebody gave him the 10 questions. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I had all of them. Right. And he jokes. He's like, that was the first hundred I ever made on a test. <laughs> right. Um, and so the, the aha moment kind of began. It was like, it's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. Okay. And what happened to him, well, everything on that list, but early adversity um very early on i think things were relatively stable for him and i'll let him tell his story but early early on i think things were okay and then things started to fall apart his mom and dad split up he was abused by a neighbor um did not have the buffering that's a word we use when the it was it was a molestation by a a neighbor or more than one neighbor it was it wasn't like oh let's respond to that let's support you it was like don't talk about it mm-hmm. um these are not things people talk about these are certainly not things that young men experience we know that's not true but that was sort of the message so basically carry this and no we're not going to um buffer that experience and then pretty soon after that he's um witnesses some violence and then again and again in a in an unsafe neighborhood and then somewhere in there at, at a young age tries alcohol and you know anybody with addiction pretty much will be able to tell you if they they want to about trauma in their past right. so all of a sudden I don't feel so terrible about all these things that I've experienced when I have a 40 ounce in me, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it makes perfect sense that people end up with substance use um, disorder when they have experienced trauma and it's not healed. Mm-hmm. And so he starts to have, you know, drugs and alcohol issues, and that leads him, along with being an African American man in this country, into the criminal justice system. And so he learns about ACEs and he's like, I want to know everything I can about this. This is, this is making sense. Mm-hmm explaining things about not only himself but his friends and his neighbors and the experience of so many young african-american men that he knew and um and then he went from jail prison to like a treatment facility and he heard the word resilience Hmm. and was like oh here's what here's what we can do about it Mm -hmm. and then he got out of um all of that came back to Asheville and sh- showed up at um, the Melissa Baker Bunkum Aces Collaborative. I mean, she started it mm-hmm. like that. Oh God, I get the chills. So um, he, I can't remember who told him about it, but he was just hungry and still is to learn everything he can. And then now his mission in, in part, he does a lot of things for a lot of people in this community that are positive but he's really every everywhere he goes he wants to talk about healing and you start with trauma and 
understand that and then ways to heal Mm -hmm. and build resiliency. And um, the more I talk to people and um, people like Michael, it's not just Michael. There are, there are other people I continue to meet who have similar stories. And I can think of all kinds of people, but I don't know if they've ever even heard about, you know, race scores, Mm -hmm. the resiliency thing. It's like this moment of, it's just profound for for people. I mean, Oprah says this on her. She did a show on Aces. Yeah, I remember Melissa went nuts when. Yeah. When she heard yeah. Oprah talking about it, she says it has changed the way she thinks about people. That question: What's not what's wrong with you? It's what happened to you. Mm-hmm. It you know it. It's the not. It's the compassionate response that humans d- deserve and need and. It can be the beginning of, you know, a, a different a different story. Right. And um, and and one of the one of the pieces, Michael and and many other brilliant folks in this town are also talking about more and more is the racial equity piece of um, this whole story and the the understanding more and more about historical trauma and right. traumas of oppression. Mm-hmm. So whether you have your aces or not, you might have a zero right. um, of all those 10 questions. But if you have been a person of color in this country, you are receiving signals of not safe and not belong here. And that takes a toll. Right. And so the healing work is also partly, you know, whether there's childhood trauma as we defined it with the ACE study, there is trauma of oppression right. that people are impacted by. And well, so we got to talk about all of it. It can't be one without the other at this point. It's like once you know, you got to, you can't not. Right. I mean, I, I remember a conversation that Jackie had with me one time where she was just describing how she had to explain to her son, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you can't just walk by yourself with a hoodie on mm-hmm. be, you know because people are going to think things mm-hmm. about you and that's ridiculous mm-hmm. Not, like those kinds of things I, I don't think people I, don't, I think a, a lot of people don't really have a sense of right what we take for granted uh, uh, as white people and white bodies and this world in this country we don't it's just a different um, life experience mm-hmm. and so a young man in a hoodie, if he's a African-American man, needs to be in fight or flight right. if he's walking down the street in a hoodie. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the experience of his like-minded, like-sized, like-dressed right. brothers is you might get killed for right. no reason. Like, mm-hmm. so it's... And that takes a toll on your health, mm-hmm. right? So there's a, it's a lot, you know. It's we can we can do what we're doing, um, and there are needs, of course, needs to be a some some, you know, collective. I don't know response. Right. Well, I'm going to refer back again to episode four. Yeah, yeah. With the ex police officer, he was the ex police officer who who turned uh, into a sociology professor. Mm-hmm. And he, de- he designed, or didn't design, he um, was reading about this myth called Indra's Net. And Indra is this ancient Hindu god. It was just a, a, a story. And uh, within each of the nodes of the net was a jewel. 
and each of those jewels was a reflection of every other jewel. Mm-hmm. And he describes in this in this podcast how you know we can look at this as though this is one group or one culture's problem, but really all these things are it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, the folks who don't have a sense of what's going on in a way that kind of contributes does kind of yeah it, it does contribute to Absolutely. the whole problem, and so we're all in this together. That's what mm-hmm. he's getting at, yeah. which is kind mm-hmm. of interesting. But um, to take it back to aces and resiliency because uh, I don't want to keep you too long um, so again with adults when they when they figure out what their ace score is like yeah okay I had a, a really shitty childhood and this horrible things happened to me but I'm getting through mm-hmm. um, it, it, how, how what do they do once they learn this information to find a way to move through it I mean do you mm-hmm. just say go to therapy and mm-hmm. figure it out you know do some EMDR or mm-hmm. is there something else yeah so one thing we say is when you know your ACE score, you know, first of all, ACEs are not destiny. Mm-hmm. Okay. They intend to, they tend to increase risk and the science is pretty clear on that. But there are people walking around with high ACE scores that are doing just fine. Mm-hmm. So it's not like an absolute, well, you're well, going to. functional. They're, yeah. So yeah. there's a difference between doing just fine and right, functional. Right, right. But they don't all have these high health effects. Right. Right. So, so one thing is, you know, it's not like a lost cause. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, I have a six. I'm totally screwed. Well, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are all sorts of ways to mitigate the impact of the ACEs or the other kinds of traumas. ACEs just covered those 10. There could be others. Um, so we say you're not your score. Mm-hmm. And does it really matter if you have a five, six, seven? Like, not to get hung up on, well, as long as I have less than a four, I'm going to be okay. But if I have more of a six, I'm going to die 20 years younger or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, to not worry too much about that, but um, sort of building resiliency there are some, yes, yeah, some people absolutely will benefit hugely from therapy like EMDR mm-hmm. to go really go back in and reprocess trauma so that the stuckness um, doesn't have to stay there and the body and mind and nervous system can can let go and release and not be carrying it to the degree. So there are some amazing therapists in this community doing, trauma-informed, somatic, resiliency-focused work. And EMDR is a a great example. Um, Also, I think, you know, your therapy might be once a week for an hour. So I also think it's not, you know, quote-unquote enough just to, even if we had a million EMDR therapists in this town, would that be enough? Aren't there a million (laughs) EMDR therapists? (laughs) I think it's it's a combination of, good therapy and there's there's good therapy and then there's not good therapy so good therapy i think practicing these wellness tools which what i what we teach and reconnect i consider wellness tools Mm -hmm. it's not therapy it's just tools we can use throughout the day to get through the stressors to get back in our zone to connect better to feel better so i want wellness tools happening throughout the kind of community like School school settings, home settings, church settings, sports settings. I want this in the water. That might be another Melissa Baker. Let's get <laughs> this in the water, mm-hmm. right? Like fluoride or whatever. She probably wouldn't get say it that. upstream. Yeah, like so <laughs> upstream, right? So it's not just that the, the starfish one one nervous system at a time. 
it's a collective mm-hmm. response. Um, so get it out there and then good therapy when you need it. I, I really, I mean, I think if people regularly practiced things like yoga, right, mindfulness, gratitude, eat well, move your body. I mean, it's, it's all of it. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. all of it. Um, be in community. We heal, we thrive when we're connected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all, all those things are kind of the, the answer to ACEs. Right. It's not just one. Right. Um, but, and, and I think there's, there's great hope. Uh, I really do. I, I wouldn't, I don't think I could be doing this work if I didn't have a lot of hope for, mm-hmm. um, for people's, people's resiliency. Right. And people are, I mean, people, I, I always want to try to make sure I don't sound like I'm saying people aren't resilient, especially people of color. Mm-hmm. Like, there is so much resiliency in communities, in bodies. Like, we're sort of made to be resilient, and we have it. Mm-hmm. And people are are it, and we can build upon it. Right. We can teach each other. We can share. We can grow more um, resilient. And, yeah, it's... And, and, and there's also, this isn't, this isn't my language. This is a, um, another um, person that we are drawing from. His name is Resma Menachem. He's written a book called My Grandmother's Hands. But, um, but he talks about, he's an African-American somatic experiencing licensed clinical social worker. He has studied with Peter Levine, who's developed somatic experiencing. But anyway, he says, yeah, the definite there's different definitions of resiliency, and the sort of the the white definition is kind of the pull yourself up by your bootstraps right. narrative, right? That's exact pod, podcast, podcast episode four. four. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to it. <laughs> but um, but and that and that's all well and good, but really, um, it doesn't work. It doesn't you work. You can't pick yourself up by your you, bootstraps. You got to have each other, yeah. and um, and also that. Resiliency isn't just like um, you have it or you don't. This is what it looks like. It's more like a, a state of being and right. a flow of like flowing. It's something you can develop. Right. You mm-hmm. know, it's a muscle you can mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also says just like we pass our traumas on to each other, um, both like really obviously like I'm right. abused. Now I'm abusing my child, but also I'm just, you know lashing out Mm -hmm. we also can pass on our resiliency Mm -hmm. to one another Mm -hmm. and so anyway well i think that might be a good spot to okay great great um just before we finish up um completely um is there anything you'd like to say about your trainings your organization what what is your organization number one and number two um if people want to learn more about Mm -hmm. the work that you're doing how could they find out about it? Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, it's called Resources for Resilience. It's a local nonprofit, 501c3. Um, we have been in existence as a nonprofit for about two years. Um, started by local folks, happened to all be women at that very beginning um, development phase. We've got some um, really, really brilliant men now involved helping inform our trainings and our curricula and um, 
We have a website, www.resourcesforresilience.com, for the word F-O-R. Um, so you can find out about upcoming trainings uh, on our on our website. You can read um, about the curriculum in more detail. We also teach a curriculum called Circle of Security Parenting, um, which could be a whole other uh, episode. Mm-hmm. But it's a sort of attachment-based evidence-based model for for parenting which can also be useful in um, educators of like early childhood educators can um, take that as well so um, yeah we offer workshops right here in Asheville every couple of months and then we also go wherever we're invited which has ended up being all over the state lots of school systems through some of which have been through a grant we got um, we just did a um, kind of a brief presentation in Chattanooga, Tennessee, mm-hmm. so that we may be doing some work um, even further west than we have gone. And so anyway, we just we go where where we are invited to go. And if anybody's interested, the, the website's a great place to start. If you had your own group, like you had 20 people and you want a workshop of, of your own, you can just contact us and we can. Okay provide one they're two days long mm-hmm. a lot of people say can't you just do it in one day and the answer is no you really can't <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, the parenting series is eight weeks an hour and a half once a week for eight weeks okay all right well thank you for joining us on this rainy afternoon rainy yeah afternoon yeah thanks for inviting me I'll, I'll put your um your website and contact information at the, the, the line notes okay. for the show so thanks okay. for being here great thank you mm-hmm.